Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest today is Jason Michelli. He's a United Methodist pastor. He's the host of the Crackers and Grape Juice podcast and the author most recently of Cancer is Funny. He's also a good friend. It was great to reflect on these texts with him. I give you Jason Michelli. Jason, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Scott. It's a pleasure. Audience favorite, my friend. <laughs> you love hearing that. Unlikely. But you love hearing it's, that. No false regardless, answers, it's, it's a pleasure to spend my morning with you talking about Holy Scripture. That's incredibly kind. That's incredibly kind uh, to say that. Ellis Brazil is watching us via Facebook Live. He's a good dude. He is a good dude. So sometimes when we do these things, we record, we stream them on Facebook Live, and sometimes we don't. So today we're doing that. So in case you hear us react to something that comes off the internet, you'll know that we're actually, we have a somewhat live studio audience in this context, right? It's fair to say, I suppose. So our lections for the week include, it's interesting because as the caravan is descending Mm-hmm. We were just remarking before we started recording that, you know, I'm thankful for you living in Virginia, south of me, because when the massive caravan takes over the country, I will not, I will have somebody like you to warn me to, to head further north. But, you know, this, the contrast of our paranoia about immigration and the outsider comes on, you know, the, this text comes on the heels of that. We have the lectionary text in the Old Testament is Ruth. I think we should one, build like all-inclusive goat sanctuaries for people who don't want to care for the immigrants. Goat, <laughs> cheap goat, sheep goat. I baptized an infant a couple weeks ago, and I was just like, "This kid was the best baptizan like I've ever." I mean, just glowing angelic eyes, didn't cry, was smiling. I said, "Sometimes you just know you shouldn't say this," but I told her parents, "This kid's a sheep, you know, <laughs> not a goat." But like, w- w- when did we do it? We don't know. But anyway, yeah. Ruth chapter one, Jeff Sessions' third favorite scripture passage. Yeah, so didn't somebody he somebody get arrested by interrupting him with Matthew twenty eight and uh, twenty five twenty five like, rather twenty five rather one of the like most misunderstood and overused and abused passages in the world that doesn't make me a fan of Jeff Sessions though you are taller than him <laughs> okay Ruth one Ruth one one through eighteen here we have this the story of Naomi who is a widow and. Uh, you know, her kids, her sons are passed away. Uh, you know, they took Moabite wives and then, uh, right, Ruth winds up a widow. Her sisters have no, her daughter-in-laws have nobody. They wind up widowed. It's, 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 it's a lot of bad luck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she sends her daughter-in-laws back to her people, like, go back to your people, your gods. I'm going to go back as an old woman to my people because she's not near the tribe and Ruth cling someone's does not want to go stay with her people. She wants to go where Naomi goes. And we have that first we have that famous passage that, you know, your people will be my people, your gods will be my gods here in, in Ruth, which is a wedding um, song. 
Yeah, which comes from the book of Ruth. And so here we have, uh, yeah, this is a great text. It's, it, I, it's right. I mean, it's just, this is so preachable. It is. What would you preach about it, Scott? Yeah, that's so interesting because I think, I mean, Anthony Lane was writing this, that wrote this review years ago of Lord of the Rings. And he said, or maybe it was of the movie. And he said, this is one of the, the, one of the morals of Lord of the Rings is that guy you have this conversation with in a bar who kind of creeps you out, might be the future king of the world, descendant of 52 generations of royalty. But there is something, it's amazing, if you compare Ruth to like Genesis or Jonah or Exodus, like those books seem like religious, uh, mythic, epic texts with Mm -hmm. transcendent realities and things that don't happen every day. None of that is in Ruth. This is, there's no... There's no sort of transcendent words from the Lord's. There's no Lord. There's no miracles. There's no. You have the sense that this is just people living everyday life, and yet this is a without the story, we don't have King David, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't have Jesus the Lord. So, like in this mundane story, is the redemption of the world. Although no one, it's like sort of like those. Uh, there's that conversation in the first Star Wars film where Luke is talking about how he wants to go to the academy mm-hmm. with his aunt and uncle, and they kind of are like, "Oh, you got to stay and work on the crop on the power converters, uncle." On the power converters, right? And then you hear that they start talking about he's got too much of his father, and then there's just do 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 do, and you have the sense, "Whoa, whoa!" The music just changed. Something big is happening here. That's almost like I feel like about Ruth. Like you need to like. As you read it, like put this music, pay attention, people. Do, 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 do. Like Jesus is at the heart of this and, and you know, the the formation of the people of Israel and, and Jesus. Yeah, I've often chosen to like the whole book of Ruth, just to summarize the whole book of Ruth for funerals um, for people who don't really identify as religious or Christian um, that, you know. And it's it's a mundane story, and God is not obviously in the details of the story. And like, what is true for a lot of our lives is we have to go searching for the you know the divine in the everyday. Um, so, so I think that's one way to read the story. I, I think it's interesting that Ruth comes right after a couple of Hebrews lectionary passages the last few weeks where, so you have this, not only is Jesus not really qualified to be the chief high priest, the great high priest that he is, um, being from the tribe of Judah, as Hebrews talks about, he's not really qualified to be a priest at all, which kind of undermines the whole religious system. Um, and then Ruth then doubles down on what Hebrews has already taught us the last few weeks about Jesus in that, you know, he's, he's from a Moabite family. Like, he, like, so like his, his very family tree uh, seems to undermine the religious claims that we make about him. Yeah. And, yeah. And in the most particular moments of scripture, right? Mm-hmm. These family tree things, there's, there's echoes of the universal, mm-hmm. right? You know, and the universal always comes to the particular. I mean, mm-hmm. Oftentimes we think these are somehow contradictory or in an uncomfortable tension, but in the Bible, the particular and the universal are equal and ultimate. I mean, they're always interconnected. Mm-hmm. I also think this works as a wedding text in that, you know, the key to the key to a happy, healthy relationship is, is low expectations, which is, is what Naomi and Ruth both bring to, to, <laughs> to the <laughs> table. Expectations um, or premeditated resentment. Yeah, that they have right. nothing to expect other than, you know, bad things to happen to them. Um, yeah, and it's interesting that you have a kind of Christing. I don't know if that's, that would be a gerund, right? But that's, that's a word. But th- they're Jesus to each other in some, mm-hmm. in some ways. Like, here you have 
Naomi being compassionate and although she's got nothing, she'd probably love to have the company of her daughter-in-law. Apparently they have a pretty good relationship, which, you know, thank God for in-law relationships that are, that are collegial and cordial. But, you know, apparently they have that kind of relationship. And so she'd love to have her with her probably. But, and yet she knows that she'll do better with her own people. I mean, being a widow is not easy. She's got to probably see if she can remarry as a woman at that time to get social networking capital and so she sends her away, and that's an that's a loving act, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and so something about Ruth's, uh, you know, following Naomi and Naomi's God seems to be connected to Naomi's love of her, and yet also, you know, Jesus is is uh, Naomi. Ruth is a Jesus to Naomi in some way, like the 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 widow, <laughs> the brokenhearted. She's present with her. So I mean, it, it's like you see two different pictures of the Redeemer. Mm-hmm in each character in how they are to one another. Yeah. I think it's important. Uh, one of, so like what I think is the best sermon I've ever written. And I don't know that anyone else liked it. I, I kind of retold the story of Ruth as a bedtime story that Mary and Joseph were telling Jesus. Um, you know, that this is a story that then later contributes and makes up his own identity and how he understands his ministry. So I think that's, I think that's interesting. And then I think it's important too to, to not go so quickly to the Christological reading that you miss the ways in which Naomi and Ruth are unique in the Hebrew scriptures for the agency that they have over their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Agency. It's interesting because you wouldn't think they'd have agency, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, oftentimes we, we, when, when, when we're despairing, we we minimize or overlook the ways we actually do have some agency, right? That we do have opportunities for hope. Thank you for going on. Even it, it, it's really challenging. You know, they, they're in challenging circumstances, and yet they, they do still have agency, right? But it takes imagination to see those possibilities. Yeah, and I think, especially like given the mood in our culture right now, it's you know the Naomi's kind of spiritual maturity to name her lament and say that God has dealt bitterly with me. Um, I think that posture of anger and rage and candor and lament towards God is, is a healthy model for us. Yeah, and that's not over against agency, and sometimes it might enable mm-hmm. yeah. agency. Invited everyone you knew You would see the biggest gift would be for me And the card attached would say On to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Here we have, we are in Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 14. When Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. What's interesting is the author here says, he's not down on blood and goats. He said, for if they provided Mm -hmm. redemption... So here, there's, there's this sense in which, you know, this is sort of undermines this view that, well, God is this pagan, angry deity that needs to be placated. No, I mean, God provides the sacrificial system as a way for Israel to be reconciled. Like, it's not, it, it's an act of grace, mm-hmm. not, not, not an act of sort of, hey, you have to placate me because I hate you. I think that's I, important because I think we have this stereotype, especially in the mainline church, that, well, all the sacrifice stuff isn't what really, really what God wanted. God really wants mercy and justice. Um, and, and that ignores this ongoing tension throughout the Old Testament, and God's behind both of them. Yeah, and, and, and oftentimes the power of ritual, right, to 
to bring grace and healing, right? Mm-hmm. That, that it's something that's that's actually tangible. You know, it's not just in your head or or in the domain of your thoughts, but you remember, gosh, this happened. I could smell it. I could touch it. So that's so. Th- but the author's saying, if that's true, if there was this redemptive power there, how much more mm-hmm. does this once for all sa- sacrifice and and great high priesthood of Jesus sort of you know? If you think that was great, way do you try the priesthood of Jesus? <laughs> no, I, I think I, I think the book of Hebrews is probably the most important and most neglected book of the New Testament. Um, that I think you think it's more neglected than Third John. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I would say Third John is as critical um, for a Christian self understanding than the book of Hebrews. I think the, Titus. The, <laughs> I think the once for allness of our redemption in Christ, um, the perfectness of the sacrifice offered by Christ, the great high priest, I think that gets lost and obscured in a lot of Christian preaching and Christian belief. And as a consequence, there's a whole lot of um, what, like anxiety that believers have um, that they're in, that they're good enough, um, you know, and so that, and that leads to this kind of um, what, like performance-driven desire to self-justify? Yeah, and it, it comes in different forms, right? If you're in a really sacramental tradition, like if you're Roman Catholic, it might come through, well, you got to sort of relive the redemption through yeah. the sacraments, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a mainline Protestant, maybe it's, well, you've got to continue being the hands and feet of Jesus. Or if you're an evangelical, baptism in the Eucharist are replaced by when you prayed the sinner's prayer, ask Jesus into your heart, and rededication of Christ. That's yeah. the Eucharist. They're, rededication. They're, but they're all sacrificial mechanisms. Like that's right. that's yep. what I think is important to, to understand. Uh, and none of them are necessary. Yeah, right. I mean, the, there are things that, that, although, I mean, there is a sense in which I'd want to say something like baptism in the Eucharist are ways in which God promises to be present in Christ. But it is, you're right, it is different than the once for allness. I mean, they're, it's, a, it's a different thing, right? Well, like baptism's what? Like, the, you're, you know, you are incorporated into this once for all sacrifice. Right, into Christ. And, and, and the Eucharist, more than anything, is just, this is the tangible, audible promise of what Hebrews is talking about. And so, and because it's so hard for us to believe, and because we're making up additional sacrifices all over the place, like, we need to come every Sunday to hear this this promise and, and, and digest it uh, in order for us to believe it for another seven days. Yeah, it's funny. Paul Zoll in his systematic theology talks about, it's really, it's great. It's like a hundred pages long, but he says that, that the biggest, one of the biggest struggles the church has is with the presence of Christ's absence mm-hmm. when the high priest descends. And, and so in, in trying to live in the tension of the presence of his absence, people try to fill in the gap with either like a positive, positivist inerrant, Bible or an inherent tradition or an inerrant tradition or an inerrant religious experience or something, right? When really we what we need in the feeling of the presence of the absence of Christ is Christ. No, I think that's good. I think that's good, and I and I think it. Uh, I, I think it. It connects naturally to the gospel lection in Mark chapter twelve. Oh boy, look at that transition! <laughs> look at you doing my transitions for me. I like that. Yeah, let's go to the gospel uh, lesson, Mark twelve verses twenty-eight through thirty-four. One of the scribes came near and heard the Sadducees disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, 
He asked him, which commandment is first of all? And Jesus, of course, goes to the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and with all your strength. And second is love your neighbor as yourself. And then he asked him, you're, you're right. You know, this is great. Uh, you know, the, the scribes said, you're right, teacher. You've truly said that he is one. And besides him, there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all understanding, with all strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus, when he saw, he answered wisely. He said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared ask him any questions. Fascinating exchange, right? Because we're getting close to the end. I mean, I mean, Jesus is in the shadow of Jerusalem in his own sort of passion, his own death and resurrection. And this is one of those later dialogues that goes in a, in a fascinating kind of way. And, and it's different. It's placed differently in Matthew. Mm-hmm. And it's also placed differently in Luke because for Luke, this story seems to, is the is the kind of precursor to the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's right. So what, what, I would want to preach this when Jesus says you are not far from the kingdom of God, like you're not far because I'm standing right here. Yeah, that's good. I like that. And that like Jesus is the one in whom these two commandments are are perfectly met. Um, I think it, I think it's Stephen Paulson who talks about, you know, our inability to love God and love neighbor is such that like we end up always choosing one or the other. Um, yeah. You know, that like monasticism is, a, a, you know, we're pushing the love of neighbor aside so we can focus on loving God with all our mind, soul, strength and heart. Yeah, it's interesting. What does Luther say? Our works are not for God. They're for our neighbor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that when our acts of lo- our acts of love for somebody actually become acts of self acts to sort of promote our own righteousness, then it, it ruins the act mm-hmm. that you're not really free. It's sort of like what, you know, you, when you, when you do something really kind because you know, everybody's watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, so Hebrews is not an epistle, but I think like Paul's epistles, you have to read, you, you have to read Mark 12 through the book of Hebrews, I think to, to give it a better understanding or to broaden it out. And, um, so I preached a wedding on Saturday and I used the foot washing John 13 scene, which ends with Jesus saying, I've given you a new command, um, you know, which like, so it's just like, um, so the commands here that Jesus is talking about with the scribes are now old, right? And, and the new command is not to love God or love our neighbor as ourselves. It's to love as he has loved us, which is a different standard. Um, and I, and I think that stab that, that transition to a new covenant uh, and and a new understanding of the commandments is what Hebrews is signaling to us. Yeah, and what's interesting is what you can find in the Hebrew prophets, right, all over the places. If you keep the ritual, if you do the ritual, even with you know fastidiously, and yet you don't love your neighbor, you you oppress mm-hmm. the poor, you're about injustice. That really you're not pure. Mm-hmm. But you don't hear that the rituals don't have any power really mm-hmm. they're, they're not they're, they're, that they're they're not minimized and here you you have something in this exchange that seems to echo something that jesus says elsewhere about that the that what really defiles you isn't what goes into you but what comes out of you that the mm-hmm. problem isn't ritual impurity it's the heart it, it's, yep. it's 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 the yep. prison it's the prison that the the passions are and you know as cal as augustine you know calvin these great words like concupiscence right wrongly ordered desire mm-hmm. that those things are, are the real problem and so i think that is something new in in jesus it's it, it's it, it's it's because the commandment itself is not new mm-hmm. that, that love of god love of neighbor but 
the way that really when you get that, the, re- the rest of the stuff is relativized seems to be new. Yeah, I think I think the awareness that the problem is with us and in us um, is an important caution with how we understand, like, you know, loving actions towards our neighbors that apart from a rightly ordered love of God, those things are going to be badly motivated, disordered. Um, we always think in the one direction, but we never think in the other, um, you know, which is I think what Calvin gets at, you know, that. Good deeds done by non-Christians are not good deeds, um, which is a harsher way of making the same point. Boy, the hard words of Jason Michelli. Or, or, or if there, I mean, I would want to say something like this, that deeds done really, because there is a possibility, right, of being an unwitting witness, mm-hmm. that you do something really out of love, but you don't know who to ascribe the source to, you know, like, I not think, that, yeah, not I that think everybody the, can be self I think that's the appropriate I mean, humility in like, um, Matthew 25 to get back to Jeff Sessions favorite passage that, um, you know, I mean the, the joke in the parable there of the sheep and the goats is that neither knew what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think a proper posture towards love of God or love of our our neighbor is, is maybe just a willingness to be surprised whenever we're, we truly mean it. Yeah. It's interesting too, the way this passage ends after that, no one dared to ask him any questions, (laughs) you know, that that's, although you know, I mean, anybody that's in any kind of teaching in a church or a classroom knows the difference between a question that's asked to get information or expand the discussion and one that's just made to embarrass the teacher mm-hmm. or to put the teacher on the spot. And you get, although it's interesting because when you get this story in Luke, it says that the scribe said this to justify himself. You don't get that here. Yeah. You, know, you don't get that gloss on the, on the text, but you, it's interesting that, that these, series of debates where the Sadducees, where people are asking Jesus questions, not for elucidation, but for, uh, you know, to, to corner him. It doesn't seem like this guy is doing that. No, but I think that's important that, um, you know, why are you putting me to the test? Like that's repeated several times throughout Mark, starting in the wilderness temptation scene. Um, and here, right before the passion, that that's not present. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because you have this tension between insiders and outsiders. Mm hmm. And even though religiously he's an insider, he looks like he'll be an outsider because he's part of the establishment in relation to Jesus. And he actually gets it better than most than the disciples have in the previous chapters. Like he, mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. quickly gets, even though it's like the disciples look like the worst Sunday school class that ever lived. Or just guy, a Sunday school class. Or just a Sunday school class. <laughs> <laughs> or just a Sunday school class. Uh, you know, the, this guy somehow gets it. Uh, and, but, but it's not like, the answer, but the text doesn't sort of lift up his ingenuity or anything. And maybe the reason he gets it is because he is close to Jesus. So we haven't addressed the fact that these passages will be preached on what will be celebrated as All Saints Sunday in a lot of churches. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So uh, how would you connect these, any of them, to the communion of saints, Sir Scott? Yeah, that's an interesting, that's an interesting question, right? Because you have this, you know, this sense that, well, it's funny too, because immediately the the previous discussion Jesus has was this who the Sadducees right and how do you remember who they are they're sad you see because they don't believe in the resurrection they've got no hope <laughs> so maybe you just make that joke and say see we're not sad because of that no just, yeah that's interesting and how you know it's interesting how I think Chesterton said that tradition traditionalism is the living faith is the dead faith of the living mm-hmm. and tradition is the living faith of the dead 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you Peter Lightheart says, you know, when you're baptized, your story doesn't begin. I'm Peter from Alabama. It's my father was a wandering Aramean. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that this story in Ruth is a family story. You know, you you that that it connects deeply to the family tree, which goes from Naomi and Ruth to David. You know, to to, to Jesus, to you and your baptism. And I mm-hmm. think that that's mm-hmm. and unites people on this side of glory and the other. I mean, yeah. So you could talk about how saints are not people who what who do out of their own great reservoir faith, but they have been made a part of a family that starts with Abraham through the work of the priest in Hebrews nine. Yeah. Who, who loved God and neighbor better than yeah. the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's right. I mean, I think that saints are all that are in Christ are the saints and they're, they're the holy ones, right? Saints just means holy ones and not holy because of the themselves. This is that great Eugene Peterson quote who's now a blessed memory right but the, the discipleship is focusing more and more on christ's righteousness and less and less of on your own and that's sort I, of the, the posture of saintliness and, and, and can i just make a confession absolutely i have never read anything by eugene peterson you have a great now you can just <laughs> just go read go take up you know take this book I've never this book, i've never read anything by him and then when he died and everyone was sharing things on facebook i felt i felt like a fake christian you're a Christian. You're still a Christian, but Peterson's great. He's great. He was a reservoir of just grace and wisdom. Jason, thanks for doing this as always. This is fun. And Thank was, you, Scott. It was real and it was fun. And maybe it was even real fun. Is Bill Bohr right next to you off he's screen? Not, he's he's not, not, but I think he was watching earlier on Facebook. Okay. Live. Was he excited that it's cold now and he can break out the turtlenecks? And scarves. So next time we live stream, you'll probably see them. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, my friend. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks again to my guest, Jason Michelle. You can follow Jason's exploits at tamecynic.org. And check out his podcast, Crackers and Grape Juice. And thank you again for listening. And we will catch you next week. Until then, fare thee well.